Welcome to Author Imprint, the podcast. I'm your host, Maddie Orton. On this show, we ask authors how they got their start, how they stay inspired, how they first got published, and what their advice is for aspiring authors. So today, I'm sitting here with Meg Wallitzer, a New York Times bestselling author whose latest novel, The Female Persuasion, is out now. Meg, thanks so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. So first, let's talk a little bit about your book, The Female Persuasion. What is the primary idea behind the novel? I wanted to write a book about female power and also about misogyny and about the person you meet who changes your life forever. Well, we certainly aren't talking about any of that now. So. I know, it's so irrelevant. <laughs> um, so what made you want to write on these topics? Well, I've been thinking about them a really long time. I understand that right now things are popping uh, in the news, but... These are topics I've been thinking about much of my life, absolutely. Sure. Much of the book focuses on a relationship between a young woman and and her mentor and a young woman and her boyfriend. Were any of these relationships that you drew from in your personal life or experiences? I never write from anything autobiographical. That said, I have definitely had older people who have been what I would later consider mentors, people who really helped me, who wanted nothing from me, but just sort of wanted to to help. And I think it's a very moving thing. And it's something that I hadn't seen written about uh, as much as I would have imagined. You know, that's funny, because I, I, I think you're right. When I was thinking about the relationships that are portrayed in books and movies, the mentorship relationship, I think, is maybe uh, undervalued or underwritten about. Well, it can be written in a way that... Uh, is sort of one way or another. I wanted to write about it in a sort of nuanced way, to look Mm. at the person who really does sort of see something in you, sees a spark, and reaches out to help you. But it doesn't mean that it's not going to be complicated later on. Part of the book focuses on a young woman and her, I guess, is it fair to say, growing identity as a feminist? Sure. That's particularly interesting just because I think there's so much um, tossing around of that Uh, that identity now. People saying, I consider myself this, I don't consider myself this. When you were writing about this now, uh, how did you sort of handle use of a word that on the one hand is such an easy, you know, obvious term, and on the other hand seems so loaded? I think that you put these ideas into the minds of the characters. I mean, the characters are wrestling with these things, and you can explore them through the characters wrestling with them. And it starts, the novel starts in 2006 when my young character, Greer Kadetsky, is at college and experiences something uh, that's a kind of assault. And she is very shaken by it. Which is, a, to clarify, it's a sexual assault. Yeah, sexual by... assault, yes. Uh, and she's shaken by it and doesn't know, is it sexual assault? Do I have a right to feel upset by it? She's not really even sure how to sort of think about it. And she's a famous feminist comes to campus to speak. And she tries to look to her to clarify things. And we see her journey over time, which is something that I think novels can try to do because they let you sprawl out. They let you hmm. sort of take time to examine things. I think that's true also of, um, you know, such serious subject matter and, and such gray area subject matter that I imagine uh, writing about something involving sexual assault and female identity and power in a novel kind of allows you to go places that maybe a half-hour TV show wouldn't. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, nuance is something that the novel can really traffic in, and I'm very, very grateful for that. I'm grateful that I don't have 
a thousand words, <laughs> but you know, like a hundred times that, which is which is terrific too, because that's the time that you sometimes need to figure out not just the black and white of things, but the gray areas in between, the nuances. Again, the word that I keep using all the time is nuance. It's like, mm. instead of the hot take of the headlines, you're really looking for what I jokingly called a warm take. <laughs> and a slow take, too. I like that. Yeah. So this is this is a novel for adults, but you've also uh, written YA novels as well. Um, do you approach this differently than you would a YA novel? I think you're the same person regardless of what you write, but it's sometimes where you put your lens and how long you leave your lens there. It's a, I tried to channel my younger self when I have written for younger readers, hmm. and the rest of the time I'm sort of trying to find the book that I would want to find on the shelf. Do you feel that the process is very different when you're writing for adults, or is it basically taking a similar storyline and maybe, as you said, holding onto the lens a little bit longer, ramping up the language. They certainly come from the same place. And, and they have to be books that you really care about and are doing as best you can. Absolutely. You can't be jaded about it. You have to really try to go as deeply with it, with what the parameters require of that particular book. You wrote your first book called Sleepwalking in college, uh, and it was published when you were 23. Did you always know that you wanted to be a novelist? My mother is a writer, and she Mm. was always really, really supportive of me when I was a kid. So there was nothing odd to me about trying to do something young because she was always like, yeah, sure, give it a try. And that was something that was very, very meaningful to me. What was that like for you to be sort of thrust into the spotlight at such a young age, just coming out of Brown University? It was strange and good, exciting. I would probably do things differently if I did it again, of course, um, <laughs> because you are you just don't know anything yet. You're just mm. sort of acting. Uh, you're excited about the world. You're still growing up a bit. I mean, what, what, don't they say now, like, adolescence lasts until 26? I think Or is it 43? Like a... <laughs> or I don't know. What, some number like the that. The redefining of what right? those 52, 61, something I like hope that. so. It was tremendous for me. It was exciting. I joke that um, I got a $5,000 advance and... The money's almost run out now, you know? <laughs> um, but it was it was very very exciting to have have written something and have people read it outside of your mother hmm. or your creative writing workshop. Yeah, absolutely. And was it hard for you to balance the sort of burgeoning career with being a twenty three year old? You know, New York City was really a different place back then. My friends and I all had these really cheap apartments in the village. <laughs> like that sentence doesn't even make sense. No, that cheap sounds lovely. in the village. Yes, we all did. Uh, Three-figure apartments, you know, like oh a $350 apartment Meg, in, you're the, in me. Greenwich Village. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> Many of the novels that you've written have uh, women as protagonists, strong, intelligent women as protagonists. Um, Entertainment Weekly wrote this about you. This isn't women's fiction, it's everyone's. When I read that quote, I think about having read Catcher in the Rye in high school and how we're all supposed to relate to Holden Caulfield, but that having a female protagonist somehow becomes a book for women. Well, I wrote about this very topic, actually, in an essay in the New York Times uh, called The Second Shelf in 2012. And I talked about how sometimes uh, you'll be at a party and you meet someone, a man and he sort of says what you know what do you write this has happened to me and you describe your books it's about you know love and you know domestic life and work or whatever some of the themes might be mm-hmm. of you know an earlier novel and after a while you see the man sort of saying oh my wife would love that hmm. and you kind of think but wait a minute what did i say 
that is exclusively female. I think that um, the notion of women's fiction is so limiting because don't you want to learn about other people's lives? Don't you want to learn about that? And it, you know, there was a study that said that fiction taught empathy, and I believe that to be true. So I certainly would hate the idea of somebody's fiction being sort of closed out to certain readers. How do you think we as a uh, as a population, we as a society, should start talking about books with female protagonists? I think that there have been some changes over time. Jasmine Ward uh, won the National Book Award twice. Elizabeth Strout won the Pulitzer Prize for Olive Kitteridge, which was a book of stories about this character who was not entirely likable, this woman, Olive Kitteridge and her town and the people in her town. I think that just sort of demonstrating good and powerful work and getting into the hands of readers is a really important thing to do. We have a segment that we include on our podcast called Short Stories, where we ask authors the same five questions, lightning round, speed. Okay. Um, so let me start off with a question one. What book made you a reader? Charlotte's Web. Charlotte's Web. A lot of us grew up reading Charlotte's Web. Sure. And were very moved at the death of Charlotte at the end of that book. I'm sorry. I'm giving that away. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But these are experiences about mortality and about becoming someone in the world and about friendship. Ugh. Okay. This is a great book. Question two, how do you write best? I write best after a really good night's sleep. I want to be in kind of good shape to start the day. I want to be awake and really ready because it's, it's, a, it's a physical job, too. I mean, it really how requires... Do you mean? Well, it requires you to sort of be in good shape, to have all the cylinders hmm. going, uh, to not be distracted by something else, to not be hungry in the middle of it, to not need to make a phone call. You need to be able to sort of sit there very patiently. Hmm. When you found out you were being published for the first time, what did that feel like? I remember that day really, really well. I was I was in college. I was in my off-campus apartment in Providence living with my friends, and I got a call from my agent. And it was at the end of the day, and I remember even the way the light looked, and calling my parents and saying, I just sold my novel. And it was just, it was unreal. It was so overstimulating and exciting. But of course, I didn't know what it would hold. I didn't know. I mean, my mom was a writer, so I knew what it was like. Yeah. But I already knew that there were... There were heartaches, bad reviews could be lying ahead. I was starting this thing, and I mm. felt it starting up, and it was tremendous. Wow. Do you have advice for aspiring authors? And I'll say, too, you mentioned something about an agent, you know, things like that. How do people get agents? What, what do you tell people when uh, young people come up to you and say, how do I become an author? Usually I would direct them to uh, a book called The Writer's Market or The Literary Marketplace. These are books that really tell you all the nuts and bolts of what you need to do. Mm. I think people need to have a, really, a manuscript, a full book that's in great shape and that they've really, really worked on very, very carefully. Uh, sometimes they're in a hurry to get to that point mm. and sort of taking your time with craft is, is tremendously important. Is representation important? Yeah, I, I think most publishers probably won't read a book without uh, representation. So how do people, if, you know, if you're a young person just coming out of school, how do you do that? Well, you would read one of these books, and they would tell you the names of agents, and you would find maybe an agent who represented writers you like. And not only that, but writers who maybe you feel a kinship with. Hmm. It can be a real struggle, a really difficult thing. Um, but I think that one thing that's so important is 
sticking with it if it's what you really, really want mm-hmm. to do to stay with your work and, and see why it's not working and take classes actually is, is you know, sometimes really important for people. Um, just to have something that's a community to talk about doing this thing, which hmm. is so isolating. And I guess that's how you know when you have the manuscript that you want to send out is by checking with other people. Yeah, I think that can be good. If you're not going to take a class, you don't have to. But one thing that I encourage people to have is what I call a designated reader, somebody hmm. whose taste you trust and who wishes you well. Interesting. Um, and last question, what are you reading other than Charlotte's Web? E.B. White's other book, Trumpet of the Swan. No, I'm not <laughs> reading E.B. White right now. I'm reading a bunch of things. I, I edited uh, Best American Short Stories this year, mm. so I got to read a lot of short stories, and I'm reading Lauren Groff's stories right now, uh, her, her book Florida, and uh, Gary Steingart has a new novel. I, I will read so many kinds of things. If mm. something is beautifully written, emotionally written, seriously funny or witty, uh, any of those things, I will I will give it a shot. Well, that's fantastic. Thanks, Meg. And if you want to give uh, Meg's book a shot, The Female Persuasion, it is out now wherever books are sold. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. Next time on Author Imprint, the podcast. I think that there are so many different things that publishing is made up of. And I think that it's important to think about the fact that there are so many ways in. There's so many different facets to the work that we do. Lisa Lucas, Executive Director of the National Book Foundation. Let us know which authors you'd like to hear from and what you're reading. Follow me on Twitter at Maddie Orton. That's at M-A-D-D-I-E-O-R-T-O-N for the latest. And join the conversation by using hashtag author imprint. Thanks for listening.